It's Friday, November 19th, and you are tuned into Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us this morning. This episode, like all of them, is presented by our presenting sponsor, the team at Bitcoin Well, which announced just yesterday the addition of over 100 new Bitcoin ATM machines. This is part of their expanding partnership with Rapid Cash ATM. It's just more good news for a company that's had positive headline after positive headline over the past 12 months. Big growth for Canada's first publicly traded Bitcoin ATM company. If you want to learn more about what they do or why Bitcoin well, you can check them out online under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's International Men's Day. And so today, we're dedicating our Real Talk Roundtable, kicking off in about a half an hour or so, to men's whole health. What does that mean? What does it look like? Well, we're going to ask the author of Becoming a Better Man, that's Mike Cameron. Uh, Dr. John Ogrodnichuk is with us. He's the Director of Psychotherapy at the University of British Columbia at UBC and the founder of Heads Up Guys and former pro football player Marcus Henry played in the NFL, played in the CFL. He's a personal trainer now. Uh, We're going to get the three of their take on what whole health looks like in particular for men. And we're going to get into the conversation. I'm sure that'll be prompted by your comments as well on our uh, well, on our live chat. If you're watching us live on YouTube and also, of course, via our hashtag. You can tweet at us anytime, whether we're on air or off air. The hashtag RealTalkRJ is where you can find us on Twitter. And, of course, we'll be keeping an eye on that through the course of that conversation. In just less than 10 minutes, uh, we're going to be talking to uh, Andrea Gunraj from the Canadian Women's Foundation about this hand signal. Have you seen this hand signal? Uh, a lot of people have been talking about it on TikTok, and it's it's been on Instagram and the stories and people's reels, this hand signal that, that it, well, it's, it's basically, I think, been manifesting itself on social media, a way, a way to help people that are surviving violence, people that are looking to essentially fly a red flag without leaving a digital trace. And Andrea is going to talk to us about that. We want you to be able to, to see the hand signal, to learn it. You never know, literally, when it might save a life. Maybe yours, maybe somebody who makes that hand signal to you. You always want to be prepared. That's a big part of what Real Talk is all about. We want to make sure that when you tune into this show, when you give us your valuable time, there's nothing more valuable you can give to anybody than your time, right? When you give us your time, we want to make sure that it pays off, that you're learning the things that you need to know, etc. How about this email we got from Kevin yesterday who wrote in after we talked to therapist Mara Brotman. What a great conversation. We were going to be talking to Mara yesterday about a couple of things, uh, you know, the jumping off point, the new Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd movie, The Shrink Next Store, but but we ended up talking about a ton of stuff and uh, just a, a wide ranging conversation, including how do you know when it's time to fire your therapist or how do you know when a therapist is a good fit for you? Kevin wrote in and said, Dr. Mara Brotman really left an impression on me during her conversation on Real Talk on Thursday. That was yesterday. Kevin says she talked about how people can approach their first conversation with the therapist. It was really great timing as I had my first session with a counselor this afternoon. Kevin says, sadly, I wasn't thrilled. I got the sense that Mara might be a good fit for me, so I reached out. He says, I have a free 30-minute session with her tomorrow. 
Kevin says it's so hard to find a counselor or a therapist that's a good fit. So I'm really hoping that this works out. Thank you for having Mara on Real Talk. I love it, Kev. And thanks for making Real Talk part of your morning. We're keeping an eye on some of the stories that are developing around the world and probably a huge one. Most of interest to you this morning, especially if you have kids or maybe you're a teacher or maybe you're a caregiver or maybe you have grandkids or maybe you're an auntie or an uncle or maybe you're just concerned, generally speaking, about what it's going to take and how we're going to get to the point where we look at COVID-19 in the rearview mirror. I know it starts to feel and it's and it's probably not uh, out of the norm for you to feel like it. It's never going to go away. But we know that a big part of that is going to be getting everybody vaccinated. And then the news that's been breaking this morning, less than an hour ago, Health Canada approving Pfizer BioNTech's COVID-19 vaccine for kids. This is a big one for kids age five to 11. Uh, Health Canada says it's, uh, you know, determined the vaccine to be more than 90 percent effective against COVID-19. The federal department posting that online just this morning. Uh, This is about a month after it received the company's submission rights or Health Canada in this release, quote, after a thorough and independent scientific review of the evidence. The department has determined that the benefits for that vaccine far outweigh the risks the vaccine for kids between 5 and 11 years of age. This is the first COVID-19 vaccine authorized in Canada for use in this age group, and it marks a major milestone in Canada's fight against COVID-19. So how's it going to work? Well, the vaccine is delivered in doses about a third of the size of what you may have received as an adult, uh, as kids 12 and over. Uh, Health Canada has authorized a two-dose regimen to be administered three weeks apart. So obviously there's going to be a briefing. There is a briefing underway this morning. Uh, Details including the delivery plan. And of course, this is a story that will stay on into next week to make sure that you know what you need to know, especially if you've got kids between five and 11. I'd be curious to know whether or not this is a tough decision for your family. If you do have kids in that age group, if you do have kids that are now ready to receive an authorized vaccine. Like Ryan's wondering, for example, can my four-year-old who turns five in May get it? My guess is no. My guess is you're going to have to be five, Ryan. But but again, don't go by my guesses. We'll go by what Health Canada and what the federal government says. And then, of course, what will play into this is the provincial governments across the country as well. Governments in the territories, too, of course. Uh, just yesterday, a couple of days ago, rather, on Wednesday, Alberta's education minister, Adriana LaGrange, released an open letter Uh, writing to colleagues and of course this went to schools uh, to school authorities but members of the public were able to see it quote i am aware says the education minister that covid19 vaccines might soon be approved for children aged 5 to 11 while i have always strongly encouraged everyone who's eligible to receive their covid19 vaccine i must reiterate that every child in alberta is entitled to have access to an education program per the education act says to be clear There is no legislation in Alberta that requires K-12 students to have specific vaccinations to attend in-person schools, nor is Alberta education considering mandating vaccines of any kind for students in the K-12 education system. So that's what it looks like in our neck of the woods, in our home province. That's what our education department is saying. They're saying, listen, we've always encouraged everybody to get vaccines, but we're not going to mandate it for schools. I saw somebody yesterday float a question on Twitter, said now that kids five to 11 are going to be able to get the vaccine. Do we support vaccine mandates for things like rec centers, restaurants, 
movie theaters for kids age 5 to 11. If a six-year-old is not vaccinated, should that six-year-old be allowed into the swimming pool with the other kids? Or should that eight-year-old be allowed into the restaurant with other diners that have all shown, the adults anyway, they're, they're uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? The QR codes, the proof that they've been vaccinated. You can let us know what you think here. You can let us know what you think on the live chat. I'm curious to know where folks would land. I suspect that the majority of you may say, yeah, we're going to get our kids vaccinated as soon as we can. But I wonder, I even suspect if maybe that number might be a little bit lower with regards to buy-in than it might be with adults. In other words, if you're 35 or 45 or 55 years old and you say, I'm not worried about this vaccine, I'm excited, get it in me. Will you feel the same way about kids or might you have a little bit more hesitation around the kids? I'm curious to know. You can also send us an email anytime to talk at RyanJesperson.com. Before we get into this, this TikTok or this social media hand signal that seems to be gaining a ton of prominence around the world right now, that signal for help. We want to remind you that our hashtag is powered by the team at Park Power. They provide internet, electricity, and natural gas across the province of Alberta, where, of course, you have a choice where you get your utilities. And if you go online right now onto their website, parkpower.ca, you can compare utility rates to find the rate that's right for you. So whether you're shopping for internet, electricity, or natural gas, you can compare those rates right now and sign up. It's never been easier than it is right now online. The promo code 2021-REALTALK is going to get you $70 off your first bill, no strings attached, at parkpower.ca. This weekend, if it includes you and your family shopping for new wheels, why not visit Sherwood and or St. Albert Dodge? They've got their biggest sale of the year going on right now, and the selection has never been better. Trailers are arriving on the regular with brand new Ram 1500s, the back-to-back-to-back Motor Trend Truck of the Year, and of course the full Jeep lineup, including those brand new Grand Wagoneers. I was out at Sherwood Dodge just a few days ago. They're starting to get a few of those Grand Wagoneers in. These are the really big ones, the ones that I know a lot of families are excited about. You can check them out, shop their inventory online, or go see them in person at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. We're going to get to Andrea Gunraj from the Canadian Women's Foundation in just a moment, but you've probably seen these videos, these hand signals online, mostly on TikTok. I've also seen a few on the Instagram story as well. It's a way to wave a red flag. It's a way to ask for help without leaving a digital footprint. You know that somebody that's in a situation, somebody experiencing violence, every single thing can put them at risk. Internet search history, phone conversations, a message or a text that arrives at the wrong time referencing that very abuse. So the ability to send a message without leaving a footprint is crucially important. This is the type of thing that we're talking about. Take a look at this video right here. See you again. Yeah, great to catch up. Yeah. Oh, uh, can you share that banana bread recipe? Oh, sure. It's, it's actually my mom's banana bread recipe, but it's pretty foolproof and it's super easy. Oh. Well, I appreciate it. I know your mom is a great baker, so I should be good. Um, the trick is to grease the pan really well and use overripe bananas. That's my mom's tip. Okay, good to know. I can't wait to try it. So, so thanks again for the recipe. 
So you can see right there a regular conversation, nothing suspicious about it, but a cry or a call for help. Andrea Kunraj is the vice president of public engagement at the Canadian Women's Foundation for 20 years. She's been working in the nonprofit development sector. She's an educator, a creative thinker, an author, and I'm happy to have her joining us here on the show this morning. Andrea, good morning to you. The video like that comes across as a conversation on banana bread, but really it's the type of conversation that could save somebody's life. Yeah, that's right. Um, The Signal for Health was actually launched last year in the beginning of the pandemic, of course, when we knew that gender-based violence would increase, and also that we knew that people were using video calls more often. So we thought that would be a great time to release something that would use the video calls in a way that somebody could wordlessly ask for help without leaving a digital trace. And as you said, people who are dealing with violence are often very closely monitored And it's really important for them to be able to communicate even wordlessly that they need support. And it's good for all of us to know how to support them when we see it. Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, a missing North Carolina teenager reportedly rescued after using that hand gesture that she had previously seen on TikTok uh, to indicate she needed help. She'd been recorded uh, reported missing by her parents a couple of days earlier and was found in Kentucky in a different state after a 911 caller noticed that she had made the signal while riding as a passenger in the car. Authorities arresting a 61-year-old, charging him with unlawful imprisonment and possession of content showing sexual activity by a minor. It works. Yeah, I think uh, it's a really stunning case, stunning situation. So relieved to hear that she was able to use it. And actually, somebody was able to respond to her signs and signals of distress. There's a question about whether or not the person was seeing the signal for help per se, or whether they were just seeing her crying and uh, shaking um, and making kind of signs of distress. And for me, that was really powerful because it shows that not only is a sign or a signal really helpful in these situations, but being sensitive to people's distress and needs is also very important. And sometimes it's not going to come out with words. It's not even going to come out particularly clearly, but you just know something's wrong. And that's why we wanted to kind of move from the signal for help in and of itself at the Canadian Women's Foundation and talk about what it means to respond to signs and signals of abuse. We're moving on with a signal responders campaign that we're doing at the end of the month. And I'm hoping you'll get the discussion um, a little bit further. Sometimes I think that we'll see something and we won't know what to say. We might be afraid that we're going to make things worse. And that's always a really valid concern. So what are the tools and tips that we can use so that we're more comfortable speaking about what is a very taboo taboo subject? Of course, gender-based violence, you know, intimate partner abuse, sexual assault, emotional abuse. These are taboo subjects that sometimes we don't know how to even broach because we have social stigmas around it. So we're trying to just move away from just looking at a response or looking at a signal and going to the response. Let's take that conversation there then. I mean, you're right. It, it does seem to be a, a little bit taboo, I guess, in the sense of, of, of not knowing if you're if you're out of line or if you're going to offend somebody, if you if you're going to send some sort of a message that you don't think that somebody can look after themselves or that it's none of your business to be sticking your nose into it. So what are some of the things that people need to consider as as they sense things around them? That's a really great question. I mean, so much of this violence happens behind closed doors between people who actually know each other and and may have a relationship with one another. This case in a kidnapping situation was very unique and it had its own unique dynamics to it, but so often 
like that banana bread recipe. It's people who are friends who know each other, who do have a relationship. So I think it's really important for us to look at what it means to see somebody's distress, have a sense, be able to reach out to that person and say, hey, I'm here for you regardless. I'm going to be here no matter what. I won't judge you. That's such an important message. I won't judge you. And I don't think we have to wait for distress to say that. I think we can actually say that at any time. Be proactive about it and tell people, hey, you know what? I know that stuff happens. I'm not going to stigmatize. I'm not going to think any which way about you. You let me know. The second thing that I think is really important, when you see a sign or signal of abuse, just know the three places that somebody can go in your area to deal with this violence. There are shelters out there. There are call services out there. There are supports out there. And you don't have to be in an active, dangerous situation to reach out to those shelters. Shelter workers are incredible to reach out to and just have a conversation with about a safety plan. If I did need to leave in a hurry, if I did need to find something to go to, some place to kind of run away, maybe to find a safe space, what would I have to do to prepare? What would that look like? Shelter workers are great to support that. And our partner, Women's Shelters Canada, really is emphasizing now. Reach out to us at any time if you have any questions. I think as well, too, it's really important to recognize that Somebody might not need you to do anything. We are often solvers. I know I'm a solver. When I see somebody in distress, I want to fix it for them. But that is not the right response necessarily. The response for me is to listen without judgment and let that person take the lead most often. Of course, if somebody's doing the signal for help out in the world, sign or signal in a moving car or out of a window, you know that they are in immediate distress. I think it's totally fair to call 911 in that instance. But in the instance where somebody is signaling, just check in with me safely. You can reach out to them. You can follow up. You can say, hey, I'm here. Reach me when you can. Let that person then come through the door and let you know what they need. And sometimes it's a listening ear. Sometimes it's a service. Sometimes it is calling the authorities or calling some emergency service. But you let them take the lead. For those that are listening to this on the podcast that, that don't have the aid of the visuals that the folks that are tuning in on YouTube do, I want to make sure everybody knows what we're talking about with regards to the hand signal. Then I want to ask you what the call to action is implied in in the admittedly unlikely circumstance. But you never know when somebody might witness it. So essentially, you're holding your hand up. I'll get you to do it right. You're holding your hand up, palm out like you're yes. about to give somebody a high five, right? That's right. Palm and- out. Thumb tucked into palm, fingers over the thumb, trapping it, right? So it's kind of like one movement there. And that means check in with me safely for the most part. It's always contextual. So if somebody does this on a Zoom call, let you know you can reach out to them afterwards. You can reach out in an ambiguous way. Say, hey, I'm here. Just get in touch with me when you can. Let that person reach out to you however they can. It might be phone. It might be messaging. It might be email, whatever way. And then you can follow up with them and they'll let you know what they need. As I mentioned, it could be just a listening person who's going to listen without judgment just to know what's going on. It might be, please call emergency services. It might be, I need a a place to go. I need a, a service or support. Where can I call? So know those three in your area that you can reach that person or help that person reach. And of course, you let them lead the way. Sometimes leaving an abusive situation can take months and years. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it takes several tries 
So to be patient, to be non-judgmental all the way through, to be that kind, safe person that's just going to be there, so important. And it might be for a long-term thing, but you do not have to solve the issue for them. You refer them to people who can help them, let them take the lead. Now, as you said, in that more unlikely circumstance that somebody might see it in a moving vehicle, um, in this case, in, in the States, we saw that. We've heard of somebody using it um, in a stranger situation out in a, at a doctor's office. Then you can know, all right, let me alert somebody. Let me call 911. That's a very fair response. But I do feel like it's going to be more in a relational situation with a friend or family member or a coworker. Just so I understand 100% accurately, Andrea, this hand signal was developed by the Canadian Women's Foundation, correct? That's correct. Are you, uh, with regards to, I mean, we're talking to the VP of Public Engagement. This is right in your wheelhouse. Um, I would imagine that it feels weird to use words like delighted when we're talking about uh, advocacy around domestic violence. But I would imagine you must be pretty happy to see that this is making the rounds even outside of Canada, that this is something that as an awareness campaign seems to really be catching on. You know, I, I think that's such a great question. My concern and my my sadness in this situation is that we need these things at all. The Canadian Women's Foundation, where I work, we would love to not have rates of violence be at such pandemic within a pandemic levels. And we saw, especially in that pandemic context, those rates of violence just shoot right up. Um, in Canada is no exception, but all around the world, the risk of violence increased. And I think that it's great that we have these tools, but I always go back to the reality that for as every Time you hear about a case, you hear about a situation in the news, there might be thousands that you don't hear about. And I also think about the fact that the reason why this preventable violence is so common is that we, as communities, as a society, we allow it to happen. Perhaps we are ambiguous about it. Perhaps our misogyny, our sexism allows it to happen. And we haven't done enough to prevent it. What are people learning in schools? What are they learning at home? What are they learning in their communities? I think about all that work that needs to happen. And I know that a signal for help is just the beginning. So I do ask people to think about how they can support. They can support with their funds to local organizations that do gender-based violence prevention and intervention work. They can support the Canadian Women's Foundation. We have lots of programs over all over the country that we support in every region and territory. And I think it's just really important for us to think beyond the emergency situation, think about prevention, think about intervention and after the fact so that we create safety so that nobody has to live in a dangerous situation. Certainly not 44 percent of women in Canada experience some form of gender based violence in their lifetimes. That is too high. And that's probably underreported. Andrea, say, so that, number so say that number again. 44 percent. Almost one in two of women. That's right. Experience some form of physical, psychological or sexual violence in their lifetimes. That's unacceptable. Mm. And we can do what we can to prevent it. And we can hold our leaders accountable. This is the thing. If they're not doing what we think they need to do per, to prevent and intervene in these situations, we can say, we're not going to vote for you. Or we would like to see X, Y, and Z. There's lots of things going on here that we can do in our communities. There's a national action plan being led that by Women's Shelters Canada and a lot of partners. There are things we can do, but we actually have to see the emergency that is right in front of us. I know what it's like to experience gender-based violence in my lifetime. I have. 
I know everybody that I know, every woman that I've experienced, have known has experienced some form of physical or sexual or emotional or harassment type violence in their lifetimes. This is so common. It is too acceptable. Like, I think the time has passed for us to do something. So yes, signalresponders.ca. I would ask that people go and check that out. Canadianwomens.org. Check that out. Learn about the signal for help. Let that be the first step in us doing something about this violence, ending it for good. Can you speak to all of us that probably don't think that we're part of the problem, but are probably part of the problem? Like when you talk about misogyny and sexism and some people are going to go, well, I mean, I'm not an asshole to people. I, I, I treat people how I would like to be treated. And I think I'm a pretty decent person. Can can you give us some examples or, or, or maybe a few things that we can start to reconcile with ourselves from a societal standpoint, you know, as we endeavor to impact change and see that number 44% ultimately get down to zero. Yeah. uh, What a great question. I mean, I would never shake my head at anybody who is not being cruel to somebody who's not being um, unkind or unfair in their workplaces, in their communities. I am glad when people are not actively harming other people, but I think Even when we are not actively harming, we can be passive about certain things. For instance, when somebody comes to us and says, you know, I'm going through a hard time, some of us might clam up a little bit. We might not be able to even speak to them about it. We may not have the words. As I mentioned, we may feel that we are making things worse. We might feel like, I don't want to get all involved in that. I have enough problems on my own. That, I think, is a mistake on our part. And we often don't have the tools and resources to do it. I understand that, but we have to try. And that is often simple stuff. Just being there for somebody, being kind to somebody, knowing the resources in our community. That's one thing I think we can do. And I think it's one thing that many of us daily might mess up on. I know I have. Second thing I think that we do sometimes, sometimes we blame people for their abuse. It's very subtle. It doesn't have to be like, it's your fault. It could just be a very kind of low key, hmm, shaking our heads in a way, perhaps letting people know that we're going to judge them, even though we don't mean to do it. We have that reaction so that when somebody does go through a dangerous situation, we think I can't go to that person. They're going to roll their eyes at me. I have done that as well too. And I know that that is a tendency. That's something we learn. We often learn to blame the victim, especially in situations of gender-based violence and violence against women. We have to stop doing that. This third thing that we have to do, I think, is support the community organizations who are doing this. There are experts in our community today. They get a slice of the funding that most uh, police, the legal system, prisons get billions every year. But it has been proven that these things don't actually touch gender-based violence to the degree they need to. Less than 1% of convictions happen on these cases. Less than 10% of sexual assaults and physical abuse is actually reported to authorities. So when we put all our eggs and our funding and our interests into those buckets, we forget the community-based solutions that actually do something to address this violence. These are experts in our community who know to talk to people, know how to do prevention and intervention, know how to care for people who are survivors of violence. Why aren't we giving them more funding? Why aren't we supporting them with our dollars? We support hospitals. We support post-secondary organizations. We support a lot of important things, but we only give a drop of funding to the organizations doing gender-based violence prevention and intervention. 
I'd like to see that flip around. I would like to see them get billions of dollars every year to do this work. That is something we can all do. Again, if we can't afford to give, that's okay. We can ask our leaders who are making tax dollar decisions about what they fund and what they put money into. Let's start doing that. It's not a partisan issue. It doesn't matter which party you support. We all want to see violence and we want to see people being safe. So let's start getting our, our better selves here when we start looking at these issues and do things in our own lives and hold our leaders accountable. I'd like to see that. And I do have a lot of hope with the, just the promise of this signal for help that people were even interested in sharing it. It is a good indication that people want to see violence stop. So let's take the next steps together. Andrea, after we talk to you, we're, we're going to kick off our Real Talk Roundtable. It's our tradition on Friday mornings. It's International Men's Day today. And this seems to be an obvious jumping off point for that panel. So I'm going to put that in front of Mike and John and Marcus who are going to be joining us. Jillian's watching us live right now on YouTube, and she says, I'm not going to lie. Uh, she says, it's it's damn depressing that we've gotten to this point. She says, I mean, ha- like, have we ever managed to reduce violence against women in society? Uh, Jillian says, signs and signals are better than nothing, I guess. But when it comes to talking to young men, uh, and I recognize that not everybody who experiences domestic violence is female. I understand that there are many different nuances to this. I understand that there's always going to be examples of men that have experienced violence in the home, etc. But the the disproportionate nature of this statistically, right? It's women and children that are experiencing violence at home more frequently than men. So prompted by Jillian's comment and question, what's the message we need to send to, to young men and, and, and to fully grown men? I mean, specifically, let's talk to the fellas on International Men's Day. Well, I am so pleased when I hear men doing this work. I think it's so incredible I think that men do need to speak to other men. And, you know, I think it's so important for especially adult men who have some kind of relationship with younger men in their lives to be that positive example, to show how masculinity can be positive. It doesn't have to be toxic. I'm I'm sure the folks you speak to today will speak to how toxic masculinity has played out in a particular way and has made it so that aggression and violence is normalized when it shouldn't be. I think that one of the things that we can do is support men to be their full selves and to not look to women to be their therapy. There's a great campaign in the States called She Is Not Your Therapist. She Is Not Your your Psychologist. I can't remember the full name, but it is a beautiful, beautiful piece because it shows that men sometimes need support, that women in their lives can't give Don't look to them to solve your problems for you, help you get out of your toxic masculinity that you've been struggling with, that you were taught by somebody who hurt you sometimes. I think it's really important for men to take that space and have that message themselves, support one another in all the full ways that they can support and really find new ways of interacting. They don't have to use violence in their relationships. There's other ways to express frustration. Now that's very psychologizing. I'm talking about it in a very individual way. But I think about the broader structures as well. This is a structural issue. It is so common. We repeat it over and over because we're taught it and that we don't do things to break that cycle. So I think about what young people learn in schools. I used to do prevention work with young people in schools, and I've heard young people say some pretty awful things. And I wondered, oh, my goodness, where'd you learn that? So I I asked the question, guys, why are you laughing when you're you're hearing about a gender-based violence situation? 
why are you joking around about knocking somebody over? Mm-hmm. And as I dug into that a little bit more with these young people, I learned that they learned it from somebody else. And in fact, they were hurt and they saw it in their own homes and they were reproducing that because it was kind of a self-protection piece. They were trying to protect themselves by putting up that hard front. And they were really actually scared and hurt and concerned. And they were like, this is the way relationships are. I never want to get into a relationship because I don't want to be like this. It was really interesting, but it took a lot of time. And you had to do that deep digging. You needed to have that relationship with them. It was peer-to-peer work that we were doing. They would never talk to their, their teachers or their parents like this. They could only talk to one another. And that's where I go back to the funding. I go back to consent and healthy relationships education. How are we supporting these things in our schools? How are our leaders supporting these things? Where's the money going? Are we making sure that peer programs can get into schools and get all the funding they need to speak to every young person? Right now, that is not the case. That is simply not the case. So we have our work to do as adults to make sure that young people get everything they need to get into healthy relationships and break this silence and break this cycle of violence. We haven't done it, but we can do it. Andrew, you and I have spoken many times on the radio, but this is your Real Talk debut. It's great to have you on the show. I've always appreciated your advocacy and your ability to put this in terms that everybody can not just understand, but take with us. We can walk with it and think about it and find ways to to make an impact in our own community and ultimately, you know, potentially save somebody's life. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Ryan. Appreciate you. Got you. it. That's Andrea Gunraj with the Canadian Women's Foundation. You can find out more about what they're doing at CanadianWomen.org. And of course, we invite you to be in touch with the show anytime. We'd love to hear your story, your personal story. Talk at RyanJesperson.com is where you can send us an email. Before we get into our Real Talk Roundtable on this International Men's Day, I want to remind you that right now the holiday sales are on. At McBain Camera, including the Nikon Holiday Sale. Tell your story beautifully with that Nikon Z50 camera. This is stunning ultra HD, 4K ultra HD with the Nikon Z50. 1080p slow motion time lapse mode. Then a whole lot more. You can flip down the LCD screen as well to activate self-portrait mode. Perfect for selfies. That Z50 and the 16 to 50 millimeter lens kit is under $1,200. $1,199.99 includes a free Nikon canvas camera bag. Plus, McBain has extended their 30-day price protection guarantee all the way through to Christmas Eve to December 24th. So you don't have to worry about the price dropping after you buy it. You are covered and you can shop early with confidence at McBainCamera.com or you can... I don't know, visit them at one of their six convenient Alberta locations. McBain camera, create to inspire. Also, big shout out to our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. They'd love to see you this weekend for one of those flamethrower burgers. You know, this one with the 100% all beef patty, the flamethrower sauce, the jalapeno pepper bacon. Fantastic. Paired with a blizzard. Whatever your blizzard choice is, it's the right one. I don't have to tell you that. You know. Make sure you tell them that Real Talk sent you when you visit the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Well, I'm looking forward to this conversation. We'll be keeping a keen eye on our hashtag, Real Talk RJ. We'll be popping in on the live chat for your comments and your questions. It's International Men's Day, and we're dedicating this week's Real Talk Roundtable to it. Mike Cameron 
has been on the show before and and really resonated. His message did. He's a two-time TEDx speaker. He's author of Becoming a Better Man. When something's got to change, maybe it's you. Mike's an executive coach and the founder of Connected Men. Marcus Henry, you probably recognize his name, a former pro football player, a wide receiver drafted by the New York Jets, went to the Carolina Panthers after that, played in the CFL in Edmonton for Ottawa, Montreal. He's currently the offensive coordinator with the Edmonton Huskies football team and is working as well as a full-time personal trainer. And Dr. John Agrodnichuk, a professor of psychiatry and director of the psychotherapy program at UBC, also the founder of Heads Up Guys, which is a leading global resource that's supporting men with depression. Gentlemen, thanks so much for making time for us today. We certainly appreciate it. We've just had a powerful conversation with Andrea at the Canadian Women's Foundation. Now we're going to talk not just to the men, but we're going to talk about men and about masculinity. And I want to take the opportunity to sort of roll over the theme into into how we're going to spend our next 45 minutes or so. Mike, why don't we start with you? When we talk about International Men's Day or when we talk about masculinity, where's your focus today and, and, and where are you hoping that people are focusing? Well, I, I think first off, just having the conversation and allowing that conversation to take place. I think far too often, you know, we talk about patriarchy, we talk about male privilege, and absolutely that's a thing, that's a challenge, that's a problem. But what I would like to see is us having more of the conversation about the price of that privilege, the price of the patriarchy, what that actually does to us as men and and the cost of that and be able to have that sort of real open and honest conversation uh, without judgment and really just get curious about the impacts that some of these societal pressures have on us as as men. And, you know, I, I resisted sort of the gendered lens for a very long time, but finally had to come to terms with the fact that, you know, there's some very real societal challenges um, for men that cause some very unique pressures that cause some very unique problems. So, so for me, this is why it's exciting to, to have this conversation specific to, to men. And Mike, and I, and I think that, that, uh, you know, we, we need to provide some context here as well. Um, and I know you won't mind talking about it because you've essentially dedicated a large part of your life to it. You lost somebody dear to you, uh, to domestic violence, Right. I mean, this is essentially what drew you into the advocacy that you're doing today. I know that this hits close to home for you. Yeah, 100 percent. I was wanting to do dances when uh, Andrea was was chatting there um, in 2015. My my girlfriend was was murdered by an ex-boyfriend. Um, and that's what really led me down the path. And I thought, you know, we can talk about all the things that Andrea talked about. How do we get better funding for shelters? How do we fix the justice system? But to me, I, I thought the better question was, how do we prevent men from getting to that point in the first place? And so that's when I really started looking at, you know, for 25 years in a sales and leadership context, I've looked at the impact that emotion has on human behavior. And of course, you know, when you look at what happened in my case, this was a man that made a decision with very permanent consequences based on a very temporary emotion. Hmm. Marcus, what is what is International Men's Day when you wake up and you go, OK, it's International Men's Day. Where does your head go to? Where's your focus at today? Uh, well, just with like the topics that that have been brought up. Um, being in the, in the sports world, I automatically go to like a role of, uh, 
being a role model for like the younger kids coming up, especially coaching them. I take that as a responsibility to, to kind of push the right values onto them. And, and that's what I think about on, on a day like this. So how does that manifest itself? How, do, how does that actually happen? I mean, in a sport like football, where you take a look at, I mean, a lot of the, the qualities that are celebrated, right, which is like strength and aggression and this ability to just plow through anything that stands in your way, right? And then you you got to be talking to these uh, young men, these athletes about how to, how to, how to develop those, those traits as athletes to be able to succeed mm-hmm. in sport, but to also find a way to channel their emotion and their energy off the field in a way that makes them better people. How do you do that? Is it easier or tougher than it sounds? Uh, it, it's, it's tough because you, you want your players to be aggressive, but then you have to have that conversation off the field of how they should be in the community, how they should be in relationships with other people. And it's, it's hard being a, uh, a male in football and like you're taught not to have all these emotions, but once you get the right people around you, it makes it a lot easier. Doctor, that's a, a fine balance to find, isn't it? To be able to have the qualities that can allow you to get drafted into the national football league, to play in the greatest league in the world. And at the same time to have the qualities that make you an upstanding human and a community leader off the field. Is that in a way the type of challenge that every single person faces or in the context of our conversation today, every young man? Absolutely. You know, context is an appropriate word to use in this conversation because like what Marcus is talking about, some of the qualities and characteristics that let people thrive and succeed in one context can be very inappropriate in another. And that has to be part of the conversation about what it is that's expected from each of us in different kinds of contexts. And when we're talking about guys, you know, we're talking about, you know, what it means to be a good man. And I think uh, that's something that we all need to ask ourselves and ask of those around us uh, what it means to be a good man, a good person, and uh, thinking about uh, what each of that means or what that means for each of us, because it's going to mean slightly different things. There's not one form of masculinity. There's multiple forms of masculinity, and we're each going to have to shape that identity for ourselves. I see football and rugby balls behind you on the bookshelf. Is this uh, are, are you a big football fan or you put that up there? Just I just love sports. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not it's not just that you knew Marcus was going to be on the show today. That, that they nope. were there before. Yeah. <laughs> hey, fellas, I, I want to hit this question head on. And, and, and doctor, maybe we'll start with you. Uh, when you talk about masculinity, I think people these days that are paying attention to public discourse would automatically or potentially automatically think of toxic masculinity because those two words fit together anytime that masculinity seems to be mentioned these days it's in the context of toxic masculinity how is our understanding of what that means of what masculinity means how has it evolved or changed john well personally i really don't like the term toxic masculinity it uh i i don't like it i don't use it uh, it has a very negative connotation uh, attached to masculinity. You know, masculinity is how gender kind of shapes one's sense of being a man, sort of the do's and don'ts of being a man. And there are some very positive aspects to masculine socialization. And then there's some aspects of masculine socialization that aren't good for us. And those are the parts that 
take men away from understanding and working with sensitive, vulnerable emotions. And so uh, boys and men learn to distance themselves from emotions. Emotions carry a lot of data, a lot of information for us. They help shape our, our thoughts, our other feelings, mm -hmm. our behavior. And so when you distance yourself from your emotions, you, you lose a lot of good input. And so you really don't know what to do with these feelings when they do come up. And uh, oftentimes guys act in uh, pretty maladaptive ways, not always, but sometimes and unfortunately uh, too often for some guys. And so I think, you know, those kinds of maladaptive behaviors uh, become attached to masculinity rather than to individuals. And so, uh, you know, in my, my practice, I work with guys not saying, let's get rid of your toxic masculinity. It's how can we better upskill you to work with some difficult emotions like shame? I can see, Mike, you're, you're, you're nodding your head like you're ready to go. The minute that oh, the, yeah. the doctor says, I don't like that phrase. And you're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you take it from here. Yeah. That, you know, that's one of the things I, I, I'm with you, John. Like that, that phrase is horrible because there's nothing inherently toxic about masculinity. But yeah, absolutely. When we're conditioned that we can't explore express our emotions you know again as a business guy i learned early in my career starting in sales and then ultimately in leadership that you know in sales we're taught that we buy on emotion and we justify it with logic and as i started researching that and and looking at the works of of some of the academics like dr antonio damasio and things like that i recognized that you know not only do we buy on emotion but we in fact make decisions as human beings. Emotion is the edifice upon which reason is, reason is built. And if we don't understand the underlying emotions that drive those decisions we make, we have zero chance of living a fully purposeful existence. So as men, when we're conditioned to bury, suppress, avoid, or remain stoic in the face of our emotions, we lose that opportunity to understand what's driving, you know, what's coming from the heart that's ultimately driving the head. And if our emotions drive the decisions, the decisions drive the behaviors, the behaviors drive the results. So let's go back to the beginning. Marcus, what was, what or who was really impactful in your life at the development stage, like a boy into a teen, into a young man in helping you understand when we talk about being a healthy man or being a good man, who really made an impact on you? Uh, in my younger years, it was my dad for sure. Just seeing like the responsibilities that he, he like had throughout, throughout my childhood, but then going into like university, um, it was mostly my coaches, like we're around them a lot. And then they try to turn us into better men. And that's at the end of the day, that's their goal is to make us better men. Um, I would say when I went to the NFL, uh, like we, we had a good program set up that kind of touched on all those topics. Like we had a good uh, player development guy, uh, Dave Zott, when I was in, in New York. And like he put the programs in place for us to like work on those things. Uh, I'm not sure a lot of, a lot of the guys actually took the time to do that stuff, but we, we always had those resources available to us. Do you think, uh, I mean, certainly when you take a look at, at some of the, you know issues that athletes can face or sometimes cause 
uh, off the field, and it's certainly not limited to football. I mean, every sport. I mean, we're seeing it in hockey right now. It's every sport, every athlete. People are flawed, uh, and that includes men who are flawed. When you're training young athletes, I mean, when it comes to teaching people the life skills to cope and whole health, when we want to talk about holistic health, what are some of the tools that you're trying to instill in young men with regards to feeling emotions, acknowledging emotions? How do you train that into athletes? Uh, it, it's hard because especially with young kids and like they don't always feel they could come to you and talk about like their emotions. So the, the biggest thing like I try to teach them is like use your emotions to express like how you feel. Cause if you don't express how you feel, no one, no, no one else is going to be able to help you get through those emotions. And I think, uh, especially on our team, we have the coaches that are really good at connecting with our kids personally. And I think that's where it starts just getting that personal relationship down with them. And then, actually giving them tools to to actually deal with their emotions and like not not think of it as in a negative way but a way that you can like overcome something and move past it yeah dr check if we have, have we made progress in that i mean has has the some of the stigma been removed when it comes to guys being able to feel things out loud and, and talk about things for for decades maybe for hundreds or thousands of years uh, the insinuation has always been that real men don't cry as an example. I, I think we can acknowledge that that's not the case, but how much progress have we actually made in your estimation? I think we've actually made a lot of progress. It's not as fast as any of us would want, but uh, I've certainly seen it. To be honest, it's one of the silver linings of COVID, having these kinds of conversations like we are now and, and many other conversations that have happened. And it's kind of opening up uh, the potential for guys to reach out. To, you know, I've never been busier in my life uh, than I have been the last two years. And it's a lot of guys reaching out for the first time, uh, these conversations that we've had have made it okay for guys to reach out and say, you know what, I've been dealing with a lot of shit. I think it's time to to work on it, talk to somebody about it. I don't know where to start. So here I am. And I say, that's fantastic. You've just taken the biggest, hardest step. Doesn't mean that therapy isn't uh, hard. It's difficult. I actually say it's going to be a lot of hard work kind of emboldens guys and it's like, okay, let's pull up our boots and get shit done. But uh, it, it's really changed a lot. You know, even in, uh, I'll take a, you know, personal anecdotes. Uh, I've been playing with the same uh, group of guys in hockey for uh, more than 20 years. And I've noticed over time how the conversation in the dressing room has changed. And the things that we talk about now I can imagine five years ago were virtually impossible. We weren't having these kinds of conversations. Uh, and so, you know, I take that as a, as a small glimpse of the progress that we are having. Uh, I listen to my son, he's 20 years old and how he talks to his friends and the way that they talk is so different than the way I was talking with my friends uh, at that age. So, so I do see things shifting and, uh, you know, I think a lot of us are impatient to see more shift quickly, but I think we have to appreciate the changes happening, be patient, support it, and, and good things will come. 
It was uh, less than 48 hours ago, and I'm not going to get into the details of the story, but every Wednesday I skate with pals. Uh, We play shinny every Wednesday afternoon. And just this Wednesday, a guy threw something out there in the locker room, and it landed with such a thud, with absolute silence. It was a moment, and Mm. he acknowledged it. He made an off-the-cuff comment. It was wildly inappropriate. It landed with such a thud that he says, I guess that's not cool anymore. And everyone just kept (laughs) tying their skates. And I just sat there and I was like, I think I might be mentioning this on Friday. Marcus, the the idea of the locker room, I mean, people use it as a metaphor. Uh, Former President Trump, you know, tried to dismiss comments as locker room talk. But but there's that there is that thing, isn't there? The locker room has been this place where I think a, a, a lot of the ills have been perpetuated, but also where we can gauge a lot of progress. Did you see changes? I mean, do you see changes in locker rooms, uh, football and otherwise now versus maybe when you started playing or when you were playing your junior ball? Yeah, for, for sure. Um, yeah, I remember like growing up, like there is some stuff said in the locker room that like you're you you're kind of uncomfortable about it but back then like no one really said anything but like as i like got older and stuff like most of those conversations really didn't happen like a lot of the, my teammates had had a lot of respect for women so those conversations or those topics or those comments weren't brought up um i think men now are more comfortable confronting guys if they do bring up something that makes them uncomfortable and i think that's the step or that's the right direction that we need to be going mike you're the the author of when something's got to change maybe it's you how do you know when something's got to change and furthermore how do you know when it's you that's got to change yeah well uh, for me so that so that subtitle really came as a result of what happened uh, in my life. And, you know, I had so many people surround me and, and pat me on the back and, you know, they'd shake their head and they'd say, something's got to change, man. Something's got to change. And, and that really became my mantra for a time. And I'd look in the mirror and I'd say, something's got to change, man, something's got to change. And then one day, you know, I added those three words that shifted everything. And that was that something's got to change, Mike. Maybe it's you. Hmm. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're the guy that needs to champion this conversation. Maybe you're the guy that needs, you know, rather than sitting back and talking um, sort of behind the scenes, how do you get out front uh, of the conversation? And, you know, to your question, you you asked Andrea about, you know, I, I was a good man before that tragic event happened. I was a good man afterwards, not contributing to the problem but not being part of the solution. And at that point, you know, I had a choice. I could carry on continuing to be a good man, not being part of the problem, or I could choose to actively be part of the solution. And I think that's the critical piece is that we all need to make that decision that we are going to actively be part of the solution and not just be okay with not being part of the problem. So what is actively being part of the solution look like? I mean, aside from and we're already talking about some of the tools, you know, we're talking about being leaders in our peer circles and watch, you know, uh, you know, you know, ensuring that that language uh, indicates the respect that we have for fellow human beings, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But but what are some of the tools that you provide to people as part of your workshops, as part of these conversations you're facilitating? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think certainly it's got to start with self. So that's the when something's got to change, maybe it's you. So it's about looking in the mirror before, you know, you know, and I often say this, like, guys, women don't need our help. They just need us to take care of our own shit. And if we can do that, then a lot of these other problems go away. So I, I use a, a framework I call SOAR, S-O-A-R, slow down, open up, accept, and reconnect with that emotional part of self. And, you know, the reason I'm passionate about teaching men the art of emotional reconnection is because emotionally connected men don't freaking kill people. Emotionally connected men don't take their own lives. Emotionally connected men make better leaders. They make better fathers. They make better partners. Emotionally connected men live richer lives. So for me, that's what actively being part of the solution is. It doesn't even necessarily mean you have to go out and do something. I mean, if you can, that's fantastic. But it means being able to stand there in front of the mirror, drop the armor, drop the mask, stand there buck naked and have a real hard look at yourself. And, and that's not easy to do. You know, Dr. John talked about it, that it's not easy to do. It's a lot of hard work, but that's where it starts. I feel like the whole exercise of standing buck naked in front of a mirror probably should prompt me to talk to you guys about physical health and get some training tips from Marcus. Every time I buck <laughs> naked in front of a mirror, I go, gosh, I've let it slide during COVID. I need to do better on that. I want to talk about other interpretations or other angles on health and on being a good man in just a second. Our guests, that was Mike Cameron. You just heard author of Becoming a Better Man. You can check out what he's doing at MikeCameron.ca. Marcus Henry is joining us, former pro footballer, personal trainer, and Dr. John Agrodnich Chuck out of UBC and I want to ask him in just a second uh, Dr. John about his program Heads Up Guys uh, supporting men with depression of course these conversations happen because we have the support of amazing sponsors like Breathe Outdoors you know them formerly as Campers Village they've been around since the 1960s but you know what as as an entity I talked to their team. They realized that not everybody that shops there is a camper. I mean, maybe you're an angler. Maybe you love skiing or snowboarding. Maybe it's paddling that's your thing or climbing. Maybe you love car camping. Maybe you just love getting out every day and walking your dog. Whatever it is, they want to make sure that you're outfitted with the best possible gear. People, outdoor enthusiasts, have trusted Breathe Outdoors for years with brands like Mountain Hardware and Kuma and Yeti and Patagonia and Osprey, the North Face and others. If you check out Breathe Outdoors in person, all their stores have seen a refresh, a redesign. They look beautiful. If you spend a minimum of $30 in store and mention my name or Real Talk at the till, they're going to hook you up with a beautiful ceramic mug for free. A minimum $30 purchase. You can check them out online at breatheoutdoors.ca. Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food want to remind you that even if your dog is still on kibble right now, maybe you're not totally convinced that raw is the right move. You can add things to the kibble to really bolster your dog's health. That includes fish or fish oil, fresh veggies. You can learn more from their Instagram account at Grand Dog Essentials, and you can check out their wide array of supplements online right now at granddog.ca. Remember, they deliver to your door on a weekly basis in Calgary, Edmonton, and Central Alberta, and you can save 10% off your first-time order with the promo code REALTALK at granddog.ca. 
www.athabasca.ca. Our friends at Athabasca University are definitively Canada's online university. Their world-class accredited online programs and courses offer you the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. I told you about my friend Jennifer that's studying. She ultimately wants to be a psychologist. She's participating in full-time studies right now as determined by her online via athabascau.ca, but she's taking weeks off at a time when her full-time job requires her to do so. That's the type of flexibility you're not going to get at your standard traditional brick and mortar university it's exactly the flexibility you have with athabasca university you can learn more about signing up how to become a student the admissions process again online at athabascau.ca it's international men's day today november 19th and dr john agrodnichuk marcus henry and mike cameron are guests uh, doctor, you've uh, been uh, essentially, I know, making an impact in a lot of guys' lives as the founder of Heads Up Guys, which is a resource supporting men with depression. How has the conversation around men's mental health evolved over the years? Well, I think it evolves in much the same way I was describing earlier, where guys are uh, starting to become much more open to conversations around mental health, whether it's their own mental health or or supporting the mental health of a guy in their life, whether you know it's a father, son, friend, colleague, uh, somebody that they know. Uh, it, it's it's really a, a slow evolution, as I mentioned. It's, it's not changing as much as we need it to change, want it to change, but it is changing. I think that's the important thing. And there's more and more men who are recognizing, you know, uh, Mike was very eloquent in his uh, description of just how important it is to be connected to your emotions, to be able to respond to them adaptively because our emotions shape virtually every aspect of our life. And so if we have a strong, healthy, emotional life, we're just going to be a better human being, period. And that's really the thing that I like to emphasize. So, you know, when I get guys calling me and it's like, I don't know where to start, something's not right, I've got to change something. And I said, we've already begun. Hmm. And so we just take it from there. Marcus, I was a huge growing up. I was a huge Junior Seau fan. I had a Junior Seau poster up in my room, loved him with the Chargers and his death by suicide. I, I was gutted. And I know that millions of people were. And, and, and I think that it was news to a lot of people that he had struggled with mental health issues for quite some time. We're learning more and more, uh, whether it's enforcers in hockey, whether it's football players that have taken a, a ton of hits to the head. We're learning more about the impact of concussions and head injuries and CTE. And, and I know it was big when when a mainstream A-list actor, Will Smith, starred in that movie Concussion. What's your take on discussions around mental health and, and some of the, the physical prompts or the injury prompts that can contribute to mental health issues? Are you satisfied with where discussion is at in pro sports as far as you can see it? Uh, I, I am. Uh, like when when I was going up, like through university and stuff like that, like we really didn't hit a lot on like mental health. Like it wasn't until I got to the pro level where we actually had programs and stuff in place and this was 10 years ago when we had all this stuff in place it's just i don't know how open guys were to actually using the resources and i i i just think that's 
how men are wired. Like we have, we have trouble asking for help and you, I, I see it in personal training too. Like most of my clients are female just cause men, a lot of men think they can do it on their own, hmm. but the men I do have it, it kind of gets to that emotional like state, just being around another guy and having that, that opportunity to talk, you get to that emotional side and you can actually help them through some stuff. Is that something that you either subconsciously or otherwise try to prompt? I mean, I would imagine as a personal trainer, you're, you're looking to a, to a holistic healthiness, right? Which includes the mental health side of things. Is that something that you're conscious of that you're aware of when you're training somebody? Uh, not really. It kind of just comes forward. Like, mm. like my main goal at the beginning is just to get them in the gym moving around. And then as we get like a little closer and get connected, like they feel more comfortable, like, talking about their personal life and then it just evolves from there and then we can just talk about anything it's interesting mike isn't it when we i mean we we just observed remembrance day just just over a, a week ago and we received some really meaningful messages uh one in particular an, an email to myself from a guy that was talking about uh what he suspects in his own life is PTSD as a result of his service to his country. And then there's still that culture, though, around the military, which is probably the same as in football and hockey and probably the same as, as in other fields, right, in other areas where, where people believe that, that being strong has a certain definition. And you've got to fight off whatever it is that makes you feel or makes you appear as weak. And I think that we've I mean, I'm not the expert here. Dr. John is certainly the expert. I'm not. But but when you talk about mental health for so long, people have, have been so hesitant to talk about it, let alone seek help because of their understanding of what that implies about them. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, it's funny because I resisted calling my work mental health work for a very long time. Hmm. And even to this day, I don't love the term mental health for the work that I do, because to Marcus's point, you know, I think we tend to think of mental health as binary. Either we're ill or we're not. And of course, most guys are not. And so I often talk about emotional fitness because, again, going back to Marcus, if we talk about physical fitness, we understand that if we want to get physically fit, we need to go to the gym a couple of times a week. And we also know that, you know, if Marcus stops working out tomorrow as buff and ripped and big as he is, if he stops working out tomorrow and lets himself go for a year, he's going to lose all that physical fitness. And the same holds true with our emotional fitness. Yet for most guys, what do we do for our emotional fitness? And the answer is jack shit for most of us. So, you know, and again, this is, this is a realm that I think most guys can understand. So that's the conversation that I have often. And, and, you know, again, for me, it's about creating the spaces. And, you know, I look at, at Dr. John, uh, and I apologize, I'm not going to try your last name. Um, <laughs> it's actually really easy once you break it down, just Agrodnachuk. Agrodnachuk. Yeah, Dr. we just Agrodnachuk. break it. Dr. Agrodnachuk. There you go. You did it. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, look, I look at Dr. Agrodnachuk as sort of your, your personal trainer, but we still need to create those gyms for emotional fitness. And that's what I try and do. So creating those spaces for men to get together with the intention of practicing vulnerability, of practicing feeling. 
Um, and, and again, you know, it's not therapy. And certainly we, we definitely need the likes of Dr. Grudnicek. Now um, you're just, so now that, you're just showing off, Mike. I know. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> I figure I got maybe one more before I really start butchering it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, again, just creating those spaces in everyday life, and and for the guys, like to get intentional. And when we get together, rather than just talking about that Oilers game last night or or what have you, get intentional about. You know what, Ryan? I'm struggling a little bit right now. I've got a few things coming up. You got an hour, like, let's go grab a beer and, and I just, I just need to talk, man. Like, can I open up to you? Uh, and creating those intentional spaces and maybe it's with your partner. And again, you know, we talked about the, the, she is not your therapy or, or I guess that was your earlier guest. Um, but you know, I think <laughs> there was an article I read a while back called men have no friends and women pay the price because we do tend to lean on our partners for that emotional support. So my hope is that, you know, we can start to lean on each other for some of that emotional support and not have that be problematic and not have that be an issue. We're bad at it though. Like I'll, I'll hang out with, I'll, I'll go away for like a weekend with the boys and I'll get home and my wife, Carrie will be like, How's Matt's wife doing? You know, or or how are Jeff's kids? And I'll be like, I didn't come up. And she, you know, when are they due? Or how's their job going? Or where? Did, how was their vacation? I'm like, ah, I mean, we just didn't talk about. It. And every single time, John she, Carrie's going to me. What do you guys talk about? Like we're just we're and we're just really bad at it, and I don't know why it is. Are are we uh, like Mike touches on the word vulnerable, and I think that that's a huge word in the context of this conversation. Why are we so bad at it, though? Well, we weren't really taught. Uh, you know, I, I talked about masculine socialization, about what you know to be a man, what you do and you don't, and what you don't do is you don't share, you don't get into any uh, kind of sense of vulnerability or weakness about yourself. Uh, you just uh, don't go there. And, you know, it's so funny when you're talking about, it's like my wife will meet uh, a new woman in five minutes. She'll have that, that lady's life story. And yeah. it's like, how the hell do you do that? And it's like, Oh, we just do that shit. And then it's like, <laughs> well, it might take me 15 years to get that kind of information maybe, from somebody. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, I often say, you know, men need the permission of other men to talk, to really open up. And so when we have another guy in our life that that is willing to take that risk to share other things, or uh, I might recognize in somebody that I know and just ask, you know, you don't seem your normal self. Is everything OK? And they might not take me up on that opportunity to share what's going on. But what I've done is I've created an opening, an opportunity that maybe at some point in the future, they'll do it because I've demonstrated, I've let them know it's okay. And guys, we often need that from other guys. I love this from Kim. I just dropped in on our live chat. She says, uh, being able to show all your feels is pure strength. Uh, Haas, I really appreciate him sharing, says my emotional disconnect comes as a result of being on the spectrum uh, rather than being a man. Uh, but since my ailment is invisible, that's not how it's perceived. That's interesting. 
some random guy chimes in and says, you know, keep in mind, we as a society have conditioned men to never be seen as weak, which is interesting. And, it, and it's true, right? It, it starts early. I mean, I find myself even and I try, you know, it's it's I try to to put a lot of thought into things and also to not overthink them at the same time, which is a really delicate balance to find sometimes. But like as a dad, you know, when my little guy like falls and scuffs his knee and and, and bursts into tears and 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 we had a moment that was actually kind of funny. I mean, aside from the fact that he was crying, but, you know, those those heal and, you know, the, the scrapes heal and it's no big deal. But but I'm sitting there and I'm going at a boy. That's my tough kid. Right. That's my tough kid. Right back up. And and his mom's sitting there right beside me going, but it's OK to cry. And it's totally fine if you're crying and don't worry about crying. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the crying's fine. But you're nice and big and tough because I want him to be the guy that can take a hit and get up. And I also want him to be the guy that's OK with crying. And and I think sometimes, you know, people like me and I like to think I'm an average ordinary person want to do what's right and want to have the instincts that tell us what to do is right. And I think that that's why conversations like this are so important. I know that we've got to let you three go. Uh, you've got commitments this morning, starting in just a few minutes, and I'm so grateful that you've made time for us. I think maybe in closing, um, and please take this. I want to give each of you about a minute. Please take this in whatever direction you want. When it comes to being a good man, when it comes to pursuing health, when it comes to taking something to walk with and think about and confront ourselves on today and every day moving forward, what's one thing you want the guys to be thinking about today on International Men's Day. Marcus, we'll start with you. I would say uh, just don't don't be hesitant to ask for help. Like, you probably have someone in your life that will help you through whatever you're going through, and it just takes one question to get that, that going. Um, like, for me as a coach, I try to – have a connection with my players that they can come to me and ask me for help or, or like Dr. John said, just asking them that one question, how are you doing today? Just to get that, that conversation going and being that kind of that doorway that they can go through if they need some help. And uh, just being open to help is the biggest thing I can, I can say today. I love it. John, what's, what's our assignment or what's our one thing you want us to focus on? Well, Marcus, uh, his his counsel is great there. I would just say, guys, you know, ask yourself today, what am I doing to be the best version of myself? Hmm. If we ask ourselves that every day, we're going to go in the right direction. Last word to you, Mike. What is it? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think from a message standpoint, it's you're not alone. From a tool standpoint, it's practice the pause take a break, take a breath. The other thing, when we talk about how are you, the one word that changes that for me in a lot of contexts is the word really. How are you? Really? And let the silence do the work because we talk about this, you know, we often don't create the space for that friend who maybe doesn't respond to the how, how are you? But if we just maybe pause for 30 seconds after we ask that question, rather than rushing to fill the void, maybe they will open up. Hmm. Mike Cameron is the author of Becoming a Better Man. When something's got to change, maybe it's you. He's an executive coach, the founder of Connected Men. You can find him all over social media and at MikeCameron.ca. 
Uh, Marcus Henry, a former pro football player, a personal trainer. You can find him on Instagram at bodybyme underscore training. And Dr. John Agrudnicek, the director of psychotherapy at the University of British Columbia, the professor of psychiatry there as well, and the founder of Heads Up Guys, uh, supporting men with depression. You can check him out at headsupguys.org. My most sincere thank you to all three of you. Thanks for driving important conversation today. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Thanks fellas. Yep. Great conversation there. I love this from Jill says men need to watch drag race <laughs> when you get together with your friends. You make sure you talk about you and everybody else. Kaylin says her partner loves asking people more vulnerable and deep questions, says he finds that everybody wants to talk once they're given permission. He just has to break the ice. Kimberly says, isn't it interesting that being emotionally vulnerable equates to being weak? I don't think it does, uh, but but. Kim, I understand what you're saying. This is this is kind of that stigma that I think we're working to address, right? Mark's watching from Salt Lake City today. He says Friday night tailgating is one of the few places where deeper conversation seems to happen. Sitting around the fire before things really get going is great. There's something about a fire, isn't it? I mean, it's just something about it that that it's kind of I don't know. Something happens. The guard drops. Is is it because it's a little harder to see people's faces or is it because we it relaxes us subconsciously, the crackling of it or the comfort of it? I don't know. I told you all a story several months ago about a, a fire conversation, a fireside conversation that me and some fellas had as we were trying to celebrate a pal's 40th birthday in covid so we knew we had to be outside we had limited numbers of people there and what it did was allow for a conversation that just ultimately led to us agreeing to stay up and watch the sunrise together and we got into some of the deepest conversation that i've ever witnessed including the impact for for some of the guys of of growing up in in uh, a certain denomination of the church some guys talking about things they'd never talked about before. Some guys getting quite emotional. Um, really, really an unbelievable experience, Mark. I know what you're talking about, about being around that fire. Really amazing stuff. There's two gentlemen in the studio today. Sam Brooks. Good morning. Well, there's at least one gentleman in the studio, <laughs> Sam Brooks. What did you take from it? Like when you it's International Men's Day, did did you wake up today and, and like have a thought around it or or has your head taken you anywhere in, in, yeah, in hearing that conversation? And grilled a giant steak and then I no, I <laughs> <laughs> Um This actually got me thinking and, and this came up a little bit from all three panelists, but uh, just the idea of like open conversation. So I'll, I'll tell you a very brief story and it was couple years ago, uh, pre-COVID, actually, when I was uh, between jobs and sort of trying to figure out freelance life and uh, just getting nowhere with anything. And a friend that, like, if I'm being quite frank, that I don't know particularly well reached out to me, who you know, also works in the media industry, and just asked me to go for a beer with him. And I love hanging out with this guy so it's just like sure why not and i went for it and he you know we're, we're sitting at the bar chilling over cheap beer and and kind of he finally said to me he goes like so how are you and and i started naming you know work things and and different projects i was looking at and, and different companies i was kind of eyeing and then he like he completely disarmed me he goes like no, no no like how are you feeling how are you processing this and it was 
it was disarming. Yeah, and it was catch by surprise wonderful. a little bit. It was yeah, exactly, and it was it, it was like being invited by a friend to just be vulnerable in front of them for an hour was one of the most powerful things I've ever gone through. So mm. I, you know, I will pay it forward if I see a friend who's like clearly needs just a deep conversation and I encourage other people to do the same because it really helped me. I love it. Sarah, I was interested to see where this was going to go because we've got International Men's Day and a panel produced by you and the panel delivered, the roundtable delivered, but I'd be curious into some insight into what went into your perspective in, in driving this conversation or facilitating this conversation on International Men's Day. What, I mean, with regards to where your priorities are at or what you would like to see some of the conversation center around. Hmm. I mean, I think uh, we talk about health and the whole idea around whole health. That's kind of what drove my uh editorial like direction yeah. on this is talking about that we can't actually be healthy if we're not mentally well yeah. and we can't be mentally well unless we're physically well like there's there's they they talk to each other that there's not they're not uh, mutually exclusive so um yeah i just i felt like it's it's a it's a conversation where you can actually the physical and mental meet yeah. um so that's where i really wanted to um yeah get those different perspectives um and yeah, I just knew that Mike would bring it, and uh, he Mike just says it. Hey, yeah. I love his the premise of creating spaces. Yeah, that really piece where he said, you know, like, how are you, really? Mm. Um, because yeah, how many times is there that throwaway? You know, how are you? Good. Like, you're not supposed to go any deeper than that. If you go deeper than that, you're rude. Do you know what I mean? If you ask somebody how they're doing and they start to give you a legitimate answer. You're like, what are you doing? Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. I, didn't, I didn't I didn't like mean how are you doing? Yeah. It's like a throwaway. Like it's like saying, Hey, you know, and, how are you? And so that really is like that I mean it, it goes to the, the entire conversation that we just had. Um, really is about that opening and creating that space. I also really appreciated that your girlfriend, your partner, your um, you know, the women in your life are not your therapist. <laughs> I was I was, yeah, that just rang very true for me. Hmm. Like just, I mean, it's it's kind of a catchphrasey thing, just like toxic masculinity is, but the idea of um, emotional labor. Like women do a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to communicating and asking those questions and showing up and making sure that everyone's okay. And yeah. like, how are you really? That is, that has been, um, that has fallen to women a lot. And so just... Uh, I just so appreciated that. I appreciated it in the initial conversation of today's show and then how it was carried over into the panel. Yeah. The, the guest today um, with Andrea from the Canadian Women's Foundation and then the panel kind of dovetailed nicely. I loved Mark. I thought that was pretty hilarious. Mark is saying most of his clients as a personal trainer, most of his clients are women because the men think they can do it on their own. It's uh, it's 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 like you you could trans you could superimpose that over a lot of conversations i think i thought that was a great one um our friends at eden landscaping want to remind you i mean especially it, it's timely considering the horrific reality of british columbia right now with regards to rail infrastructure talked to a stranded trucker yesterday on the show i mean when it comes to getting supplies the supply chain problems are expected to continue at least into the next year having your landscape designer also be your builder allows for continuity in product choices 
when availability becomes a constraint. Don't have your project get held up waiting for materials that won't be available for months and months. Choose someone with 20 years of experience who can tailor your dreamscape with a wide knowledge of landscape material and product offerings. Nobody's better at it than Eden Landscaping, and you can find them online right now. Request a quote, make that initial contact, pass along your dream, and have them bring it to life via landscapeedmonton.ca. Also, big shout out to our friends at Kubi Energy. They're providing solar energy solutions to power your life in British Columbia and Alberta. They're doing a ton of work on residential, but also commercial, industrial. And Jake tells me, the CEO there, a lot of work on farms. I was kind of grinding Jake's gears a little bit. I said, I said, do you think that maybe you're doing more and more work on farms because we're talking about it more and more? He kind of chuckles, but he says, seriously, though, more and more people in agriculture are realizing that solar can work. They can solve a lot of their problems with regards to some of the off grid stuff, whether you're trying to keep your cattle watered or whatever else it is. You can get your free quote online today at kubienergy.ca. Don't forget, they're also experts. They stay on top of all the government incentives to make sure that you get the most money back that you can. That's what sets them apart at Kubi Energy. Our friends at Friesen Brothers want you to know that this Christmas, they're ready to help you and your family celebrate. From special catered meals, delicious treats, and all the ingredients for that perfect charcuterie board, to their fresh Alberta sourdough, we've been celebrating that this week. Their meat, their produce, they have everything you need for a tasty season. Plus, perfect gifts for family and friends. From their family to yours, we wish you a Merry Christmas. Friesen Brothers has been family-owned and operated since 1955. We are going to be celebrating our one-year anniversary of Real Talk coming up next week. Hard to believe, a year already on November 23rd. And we have a very special show in store. A big part of what we're going to be doing next week is reviewing some of the highlights Some of the lowlights, some of those key moments over these past 12 months as identified by you. And that's why I want to invite you, if you haven't already, to swing on by our website, ryanjesperson.com, and and click on QOTW right at the top. That's our question of the week presented by our official research and strategy partners at Y Station. This week, as we celebrate one year of Real Talk, we're asking you about what's made the biggest impact. Plus, a special edition of Trash Talk coming up next week. We invite you to let me have it. What are some of the things you've always wanted to say to me? The things you mutter under your breath? The things you would love to witness me read out loud? It's kind of like mean tweets, Real Talk style. It's your chance to chime in, and we invite you to do that. The question of the week presented by our friends at Y Station on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Each and every week, we also recognize how grateful we are to partner with our friends at Local Waste. By now, you know that they're family-owned, and they've been family-operating independently for more than a quarter century in Alberta and Saskatchewan. I was talking to Mikkel and Chris and Lauren, the team there, just a couple of weeks ago, and I can't announce anything yet. It's not my place to announce anything, but let's just say they are always looking to grow their footprint. If you're an entrepreneur in a city, a town, a village, a hamlet, where you see a void, you see an opportunity when it comes to waste and recycling management, they'd love to hear from you. 
They're always looking to see more and more of those local waste trucks across the prairies. Localwaste.ca is where you can find them online. Of course, each and every Friday, our friends at Local Waste also provide an opportunity for us to get a little something off our chest. What you're about to hear are real emails received to our account at talk at ryanjesperson.com. It's a therapeutic exercise we call Trash Talk! This one from Serge, who writes in to say, all right, so we're nearly two years into living in this strange alternate reality where we experience the world through screens, and some of you think you're so smart, setting your Zoom backdrop to a photo that's, well, let's say maybe less disgusting than what your home office probably looks like. I get it. You want to put your best foot forward. You want to show some polish in your presentation, but I've got news for you. Your fake Zoom backdrop looks like absolute garbage. Way too often, I find myself watching an interview even on real talk with somebody notable only to be distracted by the content between the the beautiful spacious sunbathed perfectly clean room behind them and the grainy dark out of focus image of their face while the algorithm tries its best to keep your face traced out so that you can give this illusion then you're in a better place than you really are or worse when you feel the need to put a banner or a logo or a vacation photo behind you thinking it will elevate your interview to new heights you've never seen before stop it says Surge. No one's impressed. All we're doing as we watch you is commenting on how bad you look and we're not paying any attention to what you're saying. Do us all a favor. Buy a lamp. Buy a plant. Clean up your fucking room and ditch the cheesy fake background. That from Surge. What about this one from Sadiq who says, my partner and I recently welcomed our first child into the world. Congratulations, you two. Says, like many parents, we were enthralled by our little bundle of joy and we wanted and continue to want the best for him. He's a few months old now, but when we went for his first check up at two months the staff at the health center shamed my partner for her decision to start feeding our son formula since then my partner's heard similar things from so-called friends and other moms just to be clear we understand there are benefits to feeding our kid breast milk instead of formula your shaming is a reflection of how small of a person you are i don't give a rat's ass about your criticism if you want to be helpful stay positive talk about the great things that new parents are doing and if you can't be positive keep your fucking mouth shut it's been months since that initial checkup, and I'm still pissed about it. That from Sadiq. Hey, that's what trash talk is for, my man. What about this one from Laura, who says, Ryan, I'd like to trash talk myself and everybody else across Canada who's taken so much for granted for who knows how long because everything we've always needed has always been there. This horrific flood and storm damage across BC has brought our supply chain to its knees and we're about to realize what that means for grocery stores and Christmas gifts and about a million other things. I'm just as guilty as anybody else for failing to realize how everything winds up available on a silver platter to us. We don't think twice about buying kiwis in February or always having prawns available for purchase or being able to order something with a couple of clicks online and having it arrive at our door 48 hours later from halfway around the world? The next number of months will be inconvenient, that's for sure. And here's hoping it's a wake-up call for all of us who could probably use one. Have a great weekend, Real Talkers. That from Laura. 
she went easy on us. I thought that was generous of her. And this one from Marshall to wrap things up this week as the United Conservative Party AGM looms this weekend. We're expecting drama there. We'll be reporting on it in full on Monday. Marshall says this would be funny if it wasn't so tragic. Jason Kenny's not wired to see the 30,000 foot view. Kenny is a soldier. Kenny's not wired to see the big picture. Kenny is a soldier. Kenny only sees what's in front of him. Kenny is a soldier. Kenny will quash the leadership review at all costs, because guess what? Kenny is a soldier. Kenny will lose the election as the cost of his actions because Kenny is a soldier. Kenny sees wisdom only in division, not unity. He's a soldier. That's why he answers to the lobbyists who put him in power, not the Albertans who voted him in. He, the soldier, just sees the leadership review as an issue, so he'll just remove the motion. He'll solve the issue by cheating. He'll change the rules. He'll buy off votes. He'll buy the majority of tickets for the AGM. So, Alberta, says Marshall, do not rest on your laurels. What's your backup plan? Please remember that just because you play by the rules doesn't mean that your premier will. He's proven it time and time again. He will always game the system. That from Marshall, the last word in this week's edition of Real Talk. Next week's going to be a big one. As mentioned, our one-year anniversary looms. That means Marie Heinen, big high-profile defense attorney and celebrated author, legend Malcolm Gladwell will be joining us on the 23rd. Mark your calendars, tell your friends, have a great weekend, and we'll see you Monday morning. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com. <laughs>